Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How about yourself? I am doing very well, actually. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of the time now spent is, is, is reading and, and trying to understand, you know, what's going on in the drilling world. And uh, I came across a, uh, an article that uh, was from, you know, July 6th and, and looking at the, you know, obviously anyone who's familiar with drilling permits has, has realized that it's been on like a downward spiral ever since about January. It peaked out about 1100 permits. Um, and, and now it's down to, and that's Texas. Uh, and now it down, you know, it went down to 225 in May, which was the low point. And then in June was 282. So whether that's an inflection point or it's just uh, an anomaly amongst the, the valley, I have no idea. But it, it's cool to see that there was a few more permits permitted uh, in June than there was in May. So I don't know. Good signs to come. Who knows? Better days are just around the corner. Sorry. I can't, I can't even finish that. Hope is not a plan. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, I mean, uh, well, it it goes back to like, you know, who's drilling and why is it lease obligations? Is it, you know, eventually if you don't drill any wells, there will be a need to produce something. If you told your investors, you were going to sell oil, um, you know, hopefully there's a rebalancing of hedge books and that sort of thing. Um, and everybody's expectations are, are recalibrated, but you want to argue that there has to be a bottom in the worst at negative $35 oil. And that coming out of that hopefully would be that, you know, maybe we do get a few more rigs drilling. Right. Um, pop quiz out of the 282, who do you think, or which basin? And by that, I mean, you know, Delaware, Fort Worth, Gulf Coast, which would be probably Eagleford, Midland Basin. Which one has the most, Matt? I would guess Delaware. Very close. It's actually the Midland Basin. Really? With 115. Wow. Yeah. I know. Interesting. Fun fact. Fun fact for everyone out there who cares to know about that kind of stuff. We as service companies live and breathe by drilling permits. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or at least some of us salesmen do. Anywho, uh, Matt, let's talk, you know, the last conversation we had was, uh, we talked about transitions, but I think now something to get a little bit more on the technical side of things, which uh, is certainly something else we specialize in. Uh, so there's a lot of institutes out there. Uh, and I think what would be good to talk about would be the API known as the American Petroleum Institute. Uh, it's something that you've seen or we've all seen stamped on things and, oh, we need to test this as per API and API standards, you know, suggest blah, blah, blah. But what does that really mean? And, and, and how can we uh, understand really why and how we tend to use uh, the API standard, if you will? Uh, what do you think? Should we, should we tackle that today or what? 
I think so. I mean, I think it's interesting because lots of people, it's sort of one of those name dropping things, yeah. except for the part where I, I don't think people know the, the nuances of it, especially drilling fluids, because there's, there's actually quite a lot there. Um, and, and frequently in, in my career, I've seen people say, oh, that's an API test or, oh, well, we follow the API guidelines. And then you look in them and actually know. Um, so it's, it's one of those, it's, it's important to be aware of them and, and, you know, the more technical you get, uh, probably to be a little more well-versed in them, whether you agree or disagree with them, uh, at least the recommended practices, but even API as a whole, I don't think, I don't think everybody knows everything they do. So it's a good one. Yeah, no kidding. So how, how would you define the API? So the API or American Petroleum Institute, um, they do a lot of different things. Uh, and so, you know, you see those ads on TV where they talk about how great energy is and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, so even that with respect to uh, campaigning and lobbying, inform- you know, PR, um, uh, for example, on the, you know, call it advocacy in general. Uh, but we've talked about this before with respect to uh, Bayright tariffs when uh, they were imposing all these these tariffs on China. Um, AES and a couple of other uh, mud companies got together and, uh, you know, petitioned uh, before Congress uh, to keep Bayright exempt because of how expensive it would be and how many issues it would it would affect for us over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the API played a big role in that. And our our council at the time even said, you know, they were very well reversed. They seemed to know everybody and seemed to know how to get our message to the people that needed to hear it. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the things that they do. Um, you know, uh, there's, they do training and certification as well. Um, certification of products, uh, and then, uh, standards is probably, well, it's it's what we're going to center our conversation around, I think. Um, but, uh, there's a, there's more than 700 recommended practices that the API puts out and, and sort of the argument is, uh, I don't know if it's an argument, but mo- many operators and uh, many bodies will say per API or follow the API guidelines. So right. they're not, it, they are and they aren't binding in as much as they're not legislation saying you have to do this this way, but they are uh, something that, for example, uh, an operator may say to all the service companies, you need to follow this API recommended practice. And so... And most folks, I think, in a uh, legal is probably not the right word, but it, in the grand scheme of things, it would be, oh, you mean you weren't following the API guidelines on that? Why not? And and you need you're in a position where you have to explain yourself versus right. something that's kind of universally accepted. Um, so it's it's partially the industry sort of regulating itself in a way. Um, gotcha. And that is a very long-winded way to describe what they do in the definition, but but perhaps that sheds some light on the functions of the API. Well, and, and this is something that's been around for a while. I mean, I, ever since I can remember, uh, there's been some very, you know, strict guidelines with regards to API. I mean, how has it been around since the beginning of the oil field or do you have any insight not to put you on the spot, but it, I mean, it's been around for, for a pretty reputable amount of time, right? Oh yeah. I, I, I mean, if I was guessing, they're probably a hundred years old. Uh, wow. so I, one one thing I like to do is is understand how mud has evolved, and so I like to read the old API recommended practices and see how they change sometimes. 
and they're they're not easy to get a hold of some of them some of them you can find anywhere but um uh you know i've certainly looked at api documents from the 40s um, no kidding. yeah so uh i i know you know it's not as formal as it is now but they've definitely been around yeah so what what makes it so important i mean why why does everyone kind of hang their hat on this whole api idea i mean i think in in one way it's it's it creates consensus right we can all agree or or generally recognize that these are all uh rules or concepts that we should abide by um and even the API recommended practices have specific language where they, they even define it at the beginning pages of any of those documents. It will say, you know, um, when we say shell, it means shell, like contract language, like you have to do it if you want to be API compliant. Other times it may say can or should, um, and those aren't directives, but they, they help give you a pretty good idea what, what's serious, what's not. They offer some recommendations on safety. Uh, I don't think they're the end-all be-all because they're trying to create consensus, which means that there might be things you feel very strongly about that aren't going to be written in because someone else might completely disagree. Um, and But at the same time, any conversation you have where we say, well, what, what do the API guidelines say? Or even I've been able to tell customers, I disagree with this API step, and here's why. Um, right. So it's sort of it gives you a place to start from and and a of a, a basic standard to consider, um, and then on the, on the safety side of things, like for example, running an HPHT at different really high temperatures, it tells you what kind of back pressure to put, uh, which should keep you from getting burned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just little things like that where you're like, this is this is some good stuff, right? So, are a lot of these practices uh, backed by you know, whether it's data or, or are they just more practices that have been in place? And then a committee comes and says, you know what, like we feel, or we believe that this is the best recommended practice. Like, can you touch on that? I mean, is there, is there any, is there any, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a level of credibility there and and there's valid reasons for what they do, but in order for a practice to get implemented, does it have to go through a rigorous sort of way of coming up with that practice to make sure it's safe and to make sure that it's scientifically proven? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is, so it goes through, there's, there's API committees. Um, and I will, they move very, very slowly. I don't know anyone who's been on an API committee who, to be honest, I think enjoyed it, uh, (laughs) just because it moves so slow and part of that's on purpose, right? It's it's generating consensus, that sort of thing. Um, with respect to hard data, um, there's definitely some of them will present rationale, like uh, API 13D, which does uh, hydraulics, does a good job of describing the history and the rationale for going from uh, you know going to the Herschel Bulkley uh, law for for fluids, or not law, but Herschel Bulkley um, equation. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's, there's others where I think it's just been history as said, you know, this is the most consistent. Mm. I will say one of my frustrations, I don't know if it ever became a standard, but, um, a few years ago I was on a committee, but there, there are consulting groups that will actually help you get API practices in, Mm. um, 
And I was told to be part of this consortium. And I basically, they said, Hey, look, we want to test this way. And, and it was about a, it was, it was failure now, failure evaluation for a piece of equipment and uh, downhole equipment. And I mathematically showed them that it was not possible what they wanted to test for. Hmm. And they were like, well, we should do it anyways. And it just sort of irked me. And I said, I'm, I'm out guys. Uh, but um, it was, it, there are, but the, you know, the whole idea, I guess, is there are, so some of these are fairly specific in how you test, but there's very good reason for it as far as it may not be the best, but it's the most accessible as far as equipment. It's been validated by other pieces of equipment, that sort of thing. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So that's another sort of long-winded answer, but. Uh, and this, uh, yeah. in, the, in the API, so it, it covers, is it, it's not just drilling, right? It's, it's, it covers everything, right? Like any oil and gas yeah, operation so, I mean, stuff or. Production, um, a lot. I mean, a lot of it is drilling. Um, so, uh, but there's there's all kinds of recommended practices. I mean, there's a, there's a whole catalog. I've, yeah, and um, so that and that's something that companies typically pay for, right? It's not just you can't just Google certain APIs. Like it's a it's a it's a sort of like a purchased, and it, and I'm sure it gets updated and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's sort of one of the knocks is you know they're quite exp- they're, they're a few hundred bucks per recommended practice, right? So. For drilling fluids, we're spending a couple thousand bucks to stay on top of all this. And then they'll issue revisions um, every probably five years or whatever. And, and you got to spend the money again. And, um, you know, there's access. You can't just buy one copy and give it to everybody in the company. Um, right. You know, it's just sort of, it's, uh, I would say that's one frustration. Just, I understand it's how they make money and maintain some of these things. But um, I also think, you know, if, if it's something that's going to make the industry better, maybe we could make it available to everyone, you know, open source, that kind of thing. Right. Um, no, and it would be interesting, right? Like, I mean, it comes back to if you're a mud engineer and, and you've been doing, say, a certain mud check a certain way for the like number of years. And it's like, yeah, oh, you know, I'd like to refresh my memory. Well, are you going to go drop a few hundred bucks? Granted, I'm sure the mud company you work for probably has it and can, and can you know, take a snapshot or some, some way of relaying the proper information. but. Um, I mean, obviously it's a company and as a company is around, they need to make money. And so I'm sure there's a reason why they try and monetize that, but it's just kind of interesting thought uh, that crossed my mind. So for, you know, for API with regards to drilling fluids, um, when do we use it as a mud company? So, I I mean, I think it's kind of in everything. You just don't realize it. so when you went to mud school, the mud che- water-based and oil-based mud checks are pretty much run according to API 13B1, which is field testing of water-based drilling fluids, and 13B2, which is oil-based drilling fluids. Um, so those are probably the ones where no matter what, no matter what you're doing, you you you're probably doing those tests even if you don't have it word for word in front of you. Right. Um, now you know for us we have work instructions. I, my my thing is, I think the API recommended practices, uh, they're good. But um, one thing that I like with our work instructions is we add a little bit more, especially notes on safety and, and calibration and other things uh, that I think gives it a bit more complete 
work instructions. So we reference API, but we don't, you know, they're not API work instructions per se. Okay. Um, then, uh, you know, it's, it's arguable, but uh, your hydraulics program probably uses some flavor of API 13D, which is rheology and hydraulics of oil well drilling fluids. Right. Um, so those, those are probably the most prominent, but then it, it gets sort of, I don't, I don't know if hairy is the right word, but uh, there's standard testing for things like PAC and like some of your products. How do you get them API approved? Well, that's API 13A. Um, uh, solid, API grade screens, like that was a few years ago. Before that, everybody had their own designation. Yeah. And, uh, so API 13C does, you know, cloth designation. Where is, are those, you know, what mesh screen is that? Um, there is actually for laboratory, laboratory drilling fluids testing, 13I. So, uh, you know, there's a few nuances in there. Um, you know, if you're doing a tender, for example, they say to mix in four lab, barrel, four lab barrels at a time. So um, that's not something in the lab we would normally do, but following those practices, they'll tell you what type of mixer to use. I mean, it's pretty specific in the lab for certain yeah. applications. No, um, that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I really can't, I mean, in my career, I can't really remember too many times that I've personally referenced certain API things. But like you said, I think as we're trained, a lot of the fundamentals are based on those practices and then they, they, they get adopted into a company and, it, and it's just kind of the norm. But, but that it all, a lot of it stems back to those API best practices and, and methods right, well, or whatever. Here's a great one with a history. Uh, we've talked about this before, electrical stability. Uh, yes. um, I get so frustrated having the conversation about, you know, I want a higher number. And the API recommended practices specifically cites not only that new ES meters are going to read lower values, you know, usually half what you're used to seeing, but it says, you sh it says shell, it uses the language shall not base treatment decisions on a single number because it's so subject to shear history and other things. And it says only use trends. Mm. Um, Wait, so we're not so, supposed to max out at 2000 every no, time? Apparently not. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's something like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I try and be respectful and not be too smug. But I, I also, when I ask customers, you know, do you go by the API recommended practices? Yes. So you're asking me, you want to, you want a thousand volt ES? Yes. Okay. Well, that's interesting because API 13 B2 right here says this. So which one is it? Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, and, and you make up a, you bring up a good point and, and it's certainly a conversation that I think any mud person has had with, you know, their customers or even just training folks or whatever. But I think a lot of it, you know, comes down to is like making sure that we as a mud company, we continue to keep up with the times, which we do, and then we follow up by educating uh, our customers or people that are involved with the job that we're doing to, to make sure that they're, you know, a lot of the old school train of thoughts or the way that the things have always been done uh, are at least addressed and, and the conversation has, is had to where, because we're really trying to make sure people don't spend money where they don't need to. And so that's just yeah. a small example. Uh, but I encourage anyone out there that, you know, if, if, if you've done something for so long and you're not really certain as to really why, but you just know like that's the person who trained you or your mentor 
said to do it like that, um, you know, certainly question it and, and just dig a little deeper to make sure that maybe you're, 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 you're not just doing things to do them, but there's actually purpose and, and value behind it. Definitely. Um, and, and like I said, the history is, is actually one of the things I think is most helpful is understanding where this stuff came from and seeing how these recommended practices have evolved. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and maybe they'll continue to evolve over time. But, uh, you know, the new ones on, uh, you know, training and qualification of drilling fluid technologists is 13L. Um, that uh, Probably one of the more interesting ones that's come up recently, too, is, I don't know, this isn't, I don't know what they technically call this, but it's like a technical release. Uh, but they did one on the size me- and measurement of dry granular drilling fluid particulates. Mm. Uh, so basically, how do you run a PSD? Um, and they acknowledge different methods and kind of where they where they sit and uh, they even, they even suggest how to, well, I don't suggest, I think they tell you how to report it on like a logarithmic scale, which okay. Um, You know, I appreciate the consistency to some degree, but uh, I'm also, you know, encouraging, you know, I want to make sure people are aware of that Uh, just by way of uh, it's where, like we've talked about with particle size analysis, how did you do this? Um, Why did you do this? and that I think the newer par- practices do go through a little bit of the history and the reasoning why they came to a decision. Um, and I will add that when these practices are, are updated, it's fairly common for a paper to get published with AADE and SPE describing the changes and why. Right. Um, so uh, that's one thing that, uh, that and, and normally they try and get as many service companies in as co-authors as possible to show kind of, that it's unanimous and everybody agreed all the committee folks are, have reached a consensus, but, uh, that's one of the most interesting things like, uh, return perm testing. Uh, the, the paper there was, we actually weren't able to get any consistent data. So we don't believe we can write a recommended practice, um, which I thought <laughs> was sort of amusing. Um, but that, that's, that's an interesting read. That's, I think Michael Byrne is the, the principal author, uh, but it just goes to show, you know, you, you try and come up with some consensus and they said it's logistically impossible. Um, wow. So anyways, well, interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah, it is. What, what would you say the biggest controversy or say, would you say the biggest room for improvement would be um, for, you know, just the whole, you know, following best practices and whether it's API or not, but, but can you help kind of, you know, w- tie up any loose ends with what you think? is versus maybe perhaps where we need to be? I, I mean, I think, you know, it, it goes without saying that these committees move slowly. Um, and, and bear in mind, these are people in industry. This isn't their full-time job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think um, it, be, it moves slowly both to adopt and to make changes. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm fairly critical. So for example, the, the HPHT, why do I double it? Well, basically the argument is that the surface area on the paper for an HPHT is half the size of an API and therefore double it and you have the same surface area. I mean, who cares? Uh, (laughs) Honestly, to me, you're, you're taking an error band and doubling it, right? That's all you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And not only that, but if you look at the calculation on a spurt loss for a PPT, it's, you know, calculating the velocity of the fluid flow. And, and, and it's just one of those, my criticism is I think 
you ought to just record the raw data. Don't introduce more error where it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I just, that that's kind of my, you know, personal, I think there's a fair amount of, of controversy to some of those things because some people strongly disagree with the quote unquote consensus. Gotcha. Um, so I, I think there's that. And, and, you know, we've already talked about the access. I, I wish they were available to everyone. Um, I think it would make us all better as an industry. It would make us more informed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the last part is they're written like probably some really boring scientific papers, you know, equation 1.2.4.3, you know, and I understand that they're, there's probably a reason for that, but I also find that with modern communication and color printers, uh, there's probably a lot more to, could, that could be done to inform the industry um, yeah. and help people work safely. And, you know, th- that's been my big thing is our work instructions have, include pictures, especially at critical steps where we think there might be a safety issue. So it's not only do I read it, but my eyes are drawn to a visual that shows the right way to do something. Um, and there's really not much of that. There's, you know, vague black and white diagrams, that sort of thing. And, and I just think, um, granted, it would take time and resources, but if I'm already paying 300 bucks for this thing, it shouldn't look like it was written in the sixties. Um, uh, it would take, so, it, it would take a special type of person to reread all those and then like redo them and make pictures and stuff. Like, I agree with you because I've tried reading them cause you, you've, you've shared some of the things and I have a hard time reading as it is, let alone API best practices. So it would be uh, it would be quite the overhaul if someone actually took that challenge on, and and I encourage anyone to do so. Now's the time. Things are yeah. slow. Maybe maybe to to add some volunteer hours to your resume, you know, hit up API and say, hey, I can make your API best practices real fancy, like for all the young engineers and folks out there in the industry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it would. It, it, I just I just think. Um, you know, for an industry that aspires to do bigger and better things, I think uh, um, communicating this information more effectively um, could make a big difference, especially in, in some parts of the world where, you know, they're written in a few different languages, but uh, it may be very helpful to have some visual companions to text that could be a little, little complicated. Yeah, no, that's a great recommendation, Matt. So. Hopefully, uh, if anyone in the API side is listening, you know, certain, uh, you know, good constructive criticism, Matt, that, you know, it wasn't a long one. wasn't very technical, but certainly something that affects our day-to-day job. So it was worth the conversation. Do you have any closing last words, buddy? I would just encourage people to read them if they can get access to them. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it's a tough read. Uh, it's something where you may want to read a few pages or, or one, one or two, uh, uh, work procedures a night uh, or something like that. And, and just kind of work your way through it because you will come across some things where you say, you know, that's, that's quite insightful or I had, or to be honest, I hadn't been running my tests that way. Um, and you know, that's okay. But uh, it's like we said, we, it's good to know where the consensus comes from. Um, even if you say, well, I do a little differently, but I have my reasons, you know? So I, I would just encourage people if, if you can get a hold of them, freedom. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And with that being said, everyone out there, please do us a huge favor. Leave a review, whether it's just a five-star review or if you want to write one, that would be great. You can also hit up Matt or I on LinkedIn. 
or hit us up at the Flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.